the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. America's at war right now. We, we forget this. Uh, we don't, uh, for many of us, we, we, we're not aware of it. It's kind of silently going on in the background. We don't feel the pain of it because we either don't know anybody who's serving or, you know, we, we don't do things like you know, aluminum and tire drives and there, there isn't meat and sugar rationing. So we're, we're not really aware of the sacrifice that's involved in military duty. But for those military families in America, hundreds of thousands of them, they know what it's like each and every single day. And we thought we'd spend some time just kind of educating all of us on, on what they go through and the amazing sacrifice, not just on the battlefield, but even back at home, uh, on the home front, uh, with a mother or a father or both sometimes and kids that, that, are, that are at home kind of keeping the, the, the home fires burning, so to speak, while mom or dad are overseas uh, in, in service to our country. Joining me now is Lieutenant Colonel Tony Monetti. Um, he, with his wife Peggy, Penny, rather, are uh, authors of a new book called Call to Serve, Encouragement, Support, and Inspiration for Military Families. And uh, Lieutenant Bonetti and Penny, great to have both of you with us. Thank you. It's great to be here. Yeah, thanks, Craig. Great to be on board. We were on. we were trying to debate uh, ahead of the conversation today, uh, Tony. Um, short for your position, is it lieutenant? Is it colonel? Or 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 would military decorum insist to be lieutenant uh, colonel? Call me Tony, but I'm a lieutenant colonel in the Air Force. In the Air Force, okay. But typically, there's no way to really truncate that, is there? No, not really. Lieutenant Colonel. Lieutenant Colonel. We'll go with Tony. I like that. It's Tony's easier. fine, man. <laughs> I'm Talk- originally from Brooklyn, New York, so, you know, um, Tony makes me feel like I'm back home. There you go. All right. Well, well, Tony, talk to us a bit first, if you would, about the reality check here that a lot of, I think, families who are beginning the experience of military duty they might either be newly married or newly into the military and even for the rest of us out there that really don't understand what your families go through yeah for those of you that are just joining uh the military and for those of you who have no clue on what it's like to be in the military um, i'm glad to talk to you a little bit about call to serve and, and what it's like uh, I've had the privilege to serve in America for uh, almost 24 years now as an officer in the United States Air Force, and uh, I can just tell you that it's a privilege and an honor to be part of the military. Um, but it's also really exciting, and uh, lo- you know, lots of new changes every day uh, as far as you know what you may or may not be doing. I mean, I've, I've been called to serve and, and gone overseas on moment's notice, and next thing I know, I'm in a foreign country, and, and, and it's exciting. But there's also a lot of transitions and challenges that we have to uh, uh, take part of, especially for our families. And that's and I'm really glad you brought that up. Uh, you know, for example, my oldest son Nico, who right now just graduated from Chapman from in L.A., uh, he he went to three different high schools. You know, in in three years. And for those of us that have been to high school, you know how tough it is 
to move once and to let alone three times. So yeah, you know, it, it take get some getting used to lots of moves, lots of transitions, but overall, uh, we have a heart for service to America, and, and we just find it it's a privilege and an honor to serve. It was interesting because some of us on the outside that that are not involved in active military duty or perhaps have never been a part of a military family uh, see the excitement, the glamour, you know, the, the, you're traveling and you're doing all of this. And, and, you know, and a lot of it, no doubt, is born out of the television ads that we see, you know, the recruitment ads and so forth, but not really realizing that there's a backside story to this. That is difficult, that is painful at times, that certainly is, is challenging. I guess when you get on the backside of it, uh, a lot of those, those initially painful and frustrating moments turn into, into, into joyful ones on the backside. I, I, Penny, yeah. I had to laugh in, in reading your story. Uh, you got uh, to talking about um, when you guys were called to uh, uh, Vicenza in, in northeast Italy, and you're... <laughs> Your initial experiences there, um, which I don't know if you're let ba- me go home to yeah. America. <laughs> I, mean, I know. Obviously, Tony's background is Italian. Is your are you of Italian descent as well? No, I'm not. And I, I thought I knew Italian until I put my feet on foreign soil in Italy and realized how fast they talk. So <laughs> it was. You know, it it was such an eye-opening experience going to another country, and I, I wish everybody in the in America has the experience of living in another country at least for uh, a month to to realize um, how great it is in America. But when when we went there, uh, our initial, you know, when we first landed there, the um, I, I tell the story about being in. Uh, at a fountain and uh, hearing the the kerplunks and the, of coins going into a fountain, and as I toss my coins and I make sure they missed because the legend of the Trevi Fountain is that when you throw the coin into the fountain, you'll return to you'll Rome. return. That's right. And, yeah. And at that point, there was nothing I wanted more than to be back home in America. And uh, but as I as I experienced Italy. And I learned the culture, um, and this was after a, a, a very uh, interesting first first month because my husband was hospitalized and had to undergo surgery. And so during that time, I had I was on my own with the kids to find an apartment, not speaking the language, and going through a lot of the. Um, you know, trying to get through Italy and the driving and all of the, you know, things that you have to get through in a new country. And we weren't really affiliated with the base. We were an hour and 20 minutes away from a base. So, so you really didn't have the support necessarily there of, of the fellow, you know, uh, military personnel. You're in a strange country. Um, and, and, and I have to admit, we Italians can be sometimes a little bit nerve-wracking. Uh, the, the stories you share of your, your first meeting with your, with your downstairs neighbor were particularly encouraging. Uh, well, you know, after being cooped up in a hotel for a month with three kids and a dog, and, um, and Tony was still on bed rest, we moved over to finally finding a, an apartment with a kitchen because you can't find one in Italy that has a kitchen because everybody takes them when they move. And we finally found one with a kitchen. And as we were moving in and the kids were getting ready to go to the pool because I, they, I bribed them with a, going to the pool after we unpacked, and uh, I heard a knock on the door. And as I went to the door, a, 
beautiful middle-aged woman came to the door. And uh, I thought, God, this is wonderful. We've got Italian hospitality right off the bat. They're going to welcome me. <laughs> and she said, in broken English, she said, she said, how long do you plan on being here? And I said, well, maybe two years. And she said, well, I cannot have all of this noise on my head for two years. I, I want you to stop. And, and, she was, and she said something in Italian that I'm sure was not very nice, and she stormed out the door. And I thought, oh, my goodness, this is, this is my first experience with our neighbors. So we were a little bit, I was a little bit frazzled, and so I took the kids to the pool. And as I went to the pool, I sat down on a chair and, and it, found one that wasn't populated. It was, a, you know, there was very crowded. And I sat down, and the whole chair busted. And, and I saw the Tatiana was the lady downstairs. I saw her smirking with another woman, and I could tell, even in another language, they were probably talking about me. And uh, then a, a, an Adonis-looking man came over to my chair, and he said in broken English, these chairs belong to people here you're going to need, you know, this is not, you're going to have to take care of the expense for this chair. And and so I decided, okay, it's time for me to go back to the apartment. And as I went back, I realized because I was frazzled, I locked the, the keys into the house. And uh, so I called my husband. He called the landlady and explained to him in Ita her in Italian that, you know, what had happened. And so uh she said she would come right over in three hours, and <laughs> <laughs> so you're lucky yeah, it was that you're lucky it was that quickly. <laughs> you're right. Usually it's Domani. We learned that Domani, Domani, Italian. <laughs> but uh, anyway, she came over three hours and twenty minutes later to find us sunburned and thirsty, and and uh, I I explained to her in in English, and even though she didn't understand a word, she under she empathized with me and gave me a big hug and. From then on, I learned that um, that the Italian culture, uh, I, we learned to embrace it. And instead of being afraid of another country, we learned to um, to to really embrace their their values and their culture. And ended up having a, just a beautiful experience. Where at the end of my story, I'm back at Trevi Fountains and I'm throwing loads of coins in because I didn't want to leave this I considered home. So. It's all it's all in the, the what you make of it. And, and along the way, I'm sure, you, if, if not learning literally how to speak the language, you know, if you know how to use your hands in the right places <laughs> at the right time, you know, that, that that's the that's best way correct. to communicate. My, my father has a great joke. He says, you know how to make an Italian shut up? Tie his hands behind his back. <laughs> that's that's, I, how, that's I, how I silence my husband. You're I, right. I, I can say that because I'm Italian. We're going to take a brief time out. We'll come back to more of our conversation with us tonight. Lieutenant Colonel Tony Monetti, along with his wife, Penny. The book is called Called to Serve, Encouragement, Support, and Inspiration for Military Families. And, and the new book, by the way, published by Discovery House. You can find it at bookstores throughout the Bay Area, as well as through Amazon.com. We'll come back with some more insights as this edition of Lifeline continues. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. And with Lieutenant Colonel Tony Minetti from the United States Air Force, along with his wife Penny, we're talking about a new book called Called to Serve, Encouragement, Support, and Inspiration for Military Families. You know, as much as we, I got such a big kick out of your, your experiences there, um, uh, Penny, in Vicenza, the notion that... 
for a lot of families. This is a sad story. This is a tough thing. There are some wives out there that say, you know, when when I met my spouse, he wasn't in the military, or if he was, I don't know that I fully understood this, and he's the one who enlisted, not me, and all of a sudden we're now kind of all in this thing together. It, it really is a team effort. You can't do it uh, one person. And that's one thing that I, I've realized with most spouses is that they understand that and they're serving their country also by supporting their spouse on the home front while they're away on the battlefront. See, if there's any message we could communicate to those eavesdropping on our conversation tonight that think of the one who was in service to God and country in the military as singularly the individual who, you know, carries the the epilepsy or the, the, the you know, the, the military regalia or, or what have you. It's not just them. Literally, the families are in service as well, aren't they? Yeah, you, you really are. And the one thing that I would leave with spouses that's so important while their warriors are serving abroad is not to isolate themselves, to stay connected with family members, with their churches, with their uh, community and the military, because once you become isolated, and, and the Bible verse comes to mind of 1 Peter 5.8, be self-controlled and alert, your enemy prowls around like the roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. The lion, when he hunts, he separates the, the prey from the pack. And that's what the devil does with, with any of us in our lives, that when he wants to attack, is he separates us from those who give us the most strength. And... Sticking with, uh, you know, with your your accountability partners, with um, good friends, that helps. And that's the same goes with the warriors that are serving overseas, that they surround themselves with a good, strong community of friends and uh, positive influences and stay in the word. That is, that is what the, you know, the best thing to do. Tony, does that also give you... A sense of peace of mind as well, because let's face it, you're, you're out there. You're right now. You're flying the the B two stealth bomber. You're going on missions and, and sorties and so forth. Uh, does it give you a greater sense of of peace as you're about this very stressful, critically important job to know that things are being taken home, care of at home? Well, without question, every every warrior that that deploys overseas is more at peace and able to focus on the mission when they know that uh, their families are being taken care of. And I can, I can tell you that our government and our Department of Defense does a great job in uh, supporting our families, giving them good medical treatment, you know, giving them good security and housing. I mean, there's no other greater country than, than America on this planet. And, and it's nice to know that, that our, our uh, government, our, our, our military is taking care of our families. But more importantly, like Penny was alluding to, uh, it, it starts with the home as far as you as a, as a warrior explaining to your wife and children and being honest with them that there's, there's a possibility you may deploy at any moment. And so, it's, you know, have your will done, power of attorney, have the, the lines of communication open so that they know that they can rely on talking to you if and when possible. But more importantly, that to know that they're, they're a strong family unit so that when you leave, they're going to be taken care of because they're strong. Absolutely. Any any words of advice that you can share? Uh, and let me start, uh, Tony, first with you. 
Um, for those listening right now that are not in the military, um, you know, you're, you're doing your duty. I think we as Americans have a duty to you uh, to help support you. What 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 should we who are, are, are in the civilian end of this? Uh, how can we better support you guys and, and most importantly your families too? I think uh, that's a great question, uh, Craig. Uh, the first thing that comes to mind for me is that you know when we're in uniform and people see us either at the airport or or even just uh, in town that they say thanks for serving. I know that sounds clicheish, but just the, uh, knowing that you care and you're appreciated is great. And I, I can also say that if there's business people out there, um, I know times are tough, uh, but if you offer some sort of military appreciation, uh, whatever that may be, it, it just, it's just special. My son just enlisted in the Army uh, a few weeks ago, decided to go in. And Wait a minute, wait a minute. The, the Army? You're in the Air Force. Hang I on know, a minute here. What happened, Tony? Uh, don't even let me go in. What happened? He's <laughs> <laughs> uh, always wanted to be a G.I. Joe, you know? It's okay. But, both uh, both of my grandfathers were in the Navy. My, what does my really? father do? He joins the Marines. <laughs> <laughs> well, we got a true joint force now. But, when my, but my, what I was getting at was Antonio uh, joined the military. They gave him an ID card. He starts training here soon. And um, and he went to a store and they they, they they gave him a military discount like ten percent off and he goes wow dad that's really cool that they appreciate me I go yeah you see that son I go it's just their way of saying thanks so I, I would say to the listeners out there um, that that there's that's one of the things you can do uh, another thing that's that that you can do if you go to call ministry dot com we literally have pages of information of and Penny and I have researched of almost I wouldn't say almost about a hundred different organizations that are supporting the military and so if you're interested in getting involved in connecting with these with these organizations so that you can connect with warriors overseas that's another great thing you can do of course there's a, there's letters of encouragement you can write when i was overseas i would get letters from kids saying thanks for serving america i mean that, that meant so much to me i still have those letters of boxes down the basement and that because it just meant a lot to me you know yeah, and and supporting organizations like the USO and so forth. Absolutely, and yes, sir. No doubt about it. And, and Penny, from your perspective, uh, same question. Well, I, I would definitely say for those families that are on the home front, and maybe there's someone you go to church with or you know of, um, reaching out to them, just uh, offering them to babysit once in a while. They don't realize that you know you don't really get a break uh, often because you're away from family in most cases. And your husband is usually the break that you, or your, or your wife, if it's a vice versa, is the break that you get when uh, to to get out. So just offering to babysit or having someone come over and mow a yard, or maybe you know a child that is their parent is deployed and going to their baseball game and taking them out for ice cream afterwards because their parents not there. It just shows them so much that that just that they're cared about, and it gives that warrior on the on the battlefront just a, a sense of peace knowing that his family's being taken care of absolutely well i love what you guys are doing again we want to urge folks uh, you can get educated by getting a copy of this new book called to serve encouragement support and inspiration for military families get more details too about this ministry how you can get involved in making a difference and helping to support those in service to our nation through call to serve ministry dot com that's called to serve ministry 
Com. And our appreciation now to uh, Lieutenant Colonel uh, Tony Manetti and his wife, Penny. Uh, uh, Tony, one thought, when, when you when you talk to Antonio next, you just got to say, you know, kid, you join the Army. Why walk when you can fly? <laughs> I love it. I promise you, I'll ask. I'll, I'll you got to say that. You know, you. Army's okay, but why walk when you can fly? Yeah, I, I don't understand it for the life of me, but, you know, uh, I, I'm happy that he chose to to defend America and be part of our military service. Well, so we, we, we are we are privileged to have great men like you serving our nation. Thank you so much for yes, the duty sir. that you do. Penny, thank you for the sacrifice that you make in supporting uh, Tony in the job that he does for our nation, and uh, keep up the good work. Thank you, sir. God bless you. All right. Thank take you. care now. God bless. Ciao. All right. Ciao. As we say in Italian, si vediamo pronto. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. We've often, I think, on the topic of taxes as Americans, drawn the conclusion that historically it was things like the Boston Tea Party and the sense of taxation without representation that spurred the American Revolution and brought America to where she is today. My next guest, though, will suggest mm, not quite true. Played a role, to be sure. But in fact, instead of the revolution sparking, uh, sparked by high taxes, it would instead be outrage against British attempts to suppress God-given, those so-called inalienable rights that we see articulated in the Constitution that we have today. Some insights now as we're joined by the director of the Center for Military and Veteran Studies at Coastal Carolina University in South Carolina. He's also the author of 16 best-selling books. His latest is entitled, By the Hand of Providence. How Faith Shaped the American Revolution. And Rod Gregg, thanks so much for being with us tonight. Thank you. Glad to be here. What headed you down this trajectory? I mean, obviously you've spent a lot of your life in the arena of, of looking at the Battle of Gettysburg in one of your books. You, you, you've been very much focused on the founding of our nation and, and the roots that we have. And, and I think, to be sure, most of us, certainly people listening to a program like this, see the faith-based roots of our nation. But to take it a step further now and, and suggest that as much as we've typically understood the American Revolution to be sparked by taxation without representation actually coming down to something a lot more valuable, quite frankly. Uh, this, this, I think, is some new news for folks. Well, I think it's, uh, it's an old story that needs to be re- retold because it's been uh, neglected in our day and has been uh, largely forgotten uh, by, uh, by our nation. But it it's really uh, goes to the heart of who we are and, and what we became as a nation. And the American Revolution was a faith-based revolution because Americans were a faith-based people, and that faith was a biblical one. So the things that you mentioned, uh, taxation, uh, lack of representation in Parliament, uh, events that uh, were somewhat of a catalyst like the Boston PT Party, other protests, all those things were uh, had a role, and all of them uh, were kind of the dominoes falling, but uh, they were symptomatic of something deeper, and that is that the American people, as, as you put it well, um, the American people were, were biblical. The colonial American people and the Americans at the time of the Revolution were uh, biblically literate. Now, it doesn't mean that everybody was devout. You had the, the devout, you had the nominal, you had the uninterested but the, the American thought at the time was uh, firmly founded on the Judeo-Christian worldview. Uh, the culture was um, 
predominantly Protestant, it was overwhelmingly Christian, and it was almost universally Judeo-Christian in its approach. And that was the foundation of American culture, law, and government. So when these events occurred, these controversial events, over a period of time, increasing numbers of uh, Americans came to, to view King George III and Parliament as attempting to usurp the higher law of God and to uh, force the law of man instead. They saw them as uh, usurping uh, what they called inalienable or God-given rights, rights to life, to liberty, to what they called the, uh, the freedom to pursue happiness. And they came to view, eventually, uh, in great numbers, uh, King George III as a tyrant. That's why uh, American troops marched off to war in the Revolution under battle flags adorned with the, with the slogan that said, Resistance to tyrants is obedience to God. You, you take the title of your new book, By the Hand of Providence, um, from a quote from George Washington. Um, and I think as we think of him as uh, you know, one of the key founding fathers, uh, uh, the first president of the United States, although was somebody in there actually for a couple of days or something, I forget all the details on that, but, but, but widely recognized as the first president of the United States, uh, as we see the role that he played, Valley Forge, all the way through the list, give us some insights in terms of this man in particular and the, the role that his faith played in taking the risk that he did in the founding of our nation. Well, and some people have made the, the case, uh, I think, kind of a weak one, the case uh, in recent uh, years that the presidents of the Continental Congress uh, in those days before the Constitution, during the, the time of the Articles of Confederation, were in a sense presidents, but they were not president of the United States. Uh, Washington was the first it's it's really you really cannot overemphasize the influence of George Washington. Now, uh, the American Revolution was really taken forward by the American people. They're often overlooked, and the leaders reflected the worldview, the faith of the American people. So you had the American people, you had their leaders in the Continental Congress, and then you had uh, George Washington, who was really heads above all others. Um, and he was greatly influential in inspiring his officers and troops to stay in this uh, this movement, to stay in this revolution. And he also inspired the American people. And it wasn't because he was a good general, and he became a good general. He became a great strategist, a good tactician, but he grew into that. What inspired the American people about Washington was his character, and that character was based on his personal faith. And that faith was clearly biblical. And that faith. Talk, talk to me about your research in terms of the influence on that faith, on the decisions and the risks that he took personally um, in the American Revolution. Well, Washington was um, a, a low-church Anglican uh, who was uh, very serious about his faith. He was quiet about his faith. He wasn't the kind of man who would sit around like Sam Adams, for instance, and, 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 and uh, engage or lead a dinnertime theological discussion. Uh, he was a low-church Anglican. He, was, uh, he didn't speak in uh, the vernacular of a 21st century evangelical, although his doctrine 
uh, personal doctrine that he believed as a as an Anglican was certainly uh, uh, in in that category of being a historic evangelical um, Orthodox Christian doctrine. He was certainly not a deist, as some have claimed. Uh, there were very few deists actually involved among uh, the American people and, and among the founders, their leaders. Uh, the um, the historian there was a historian uh, in the 20th century, Perry Miller, who spent his life studying the colonial era. He really was a great expert on American colonial uh, life in the colonial era. He described it well. He said that deism was what he called an exotic plant that never took root in America because of the overwhelming influence of the biblical worldview, that Judeo-Christian worldview. Uh, so a deist was one who, who believed in an impersonal God, almost like a force, uh, a, a force-type creator who uh, launched and jump-started his creation and then walked away from it. That's not the God that George Washington believed in. And uh, he was consistent in both his private writings, which were voluminous, and also in his, uh, his public statements, which were many, and consistent in expressing uh, that uh, faith, which was clearly, without question, a biblical faith. And so in, uh, in, in Washington's uh, decision-making, uh, and the things he did, the things he didn't do, really governed by this. You look, for instance, um, he stands in real contrast to some of the leadership demonstrated by British commanders uh, who went into areas sometimes, uh, particularly in the South, where um, uh, they could have probably, had they handled the war right, could probably have... Uh, Americans were all reluct generally reluctant revolutionaries, and the British in some areas could have uh, kindled a, a great deal of support. But their behavior, their conduct, uh, really alienated people, and it made uh, Americans in droves go over to the side of the patriot movement. Well, Washington was contrast to that in the way that he treated his enemies, the way he treated loyalist civilians. He made sure that they were not taken advantage of. He made sure that they weren't robbed and plundered like the British did. There was a real discipline there. He also uh, 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 routinely observed victories by holding worship services. Uh, he encouraged his troops to observe the national days of prayer that the Continental Congress called, and there were many of them during the Revolution. Uh, he, at one time, uh, urged his troops to conduct themselves, in his words, uh, at, in, with their behavior as becoming a Christian soldier. Uh, he made sure that uh, the army was equipped with chaplains. He took that very seriously and encouraged his men to uh, to pick chaplains who were strong in their faith. Uh, so you see consistently through Washington's words and his behavior this character, and this character was reflection of his personal faith. If you've just joined our conversations tonight, Rod Gregg is with us. He, of course, is the director of the Center for Military and Veteran Studies at Coastal Carolina University in South Carolina. A new book entitled By the Hand of Providence, How Faith Shaped the American Revolution. We'll come back to more of our look at the role of faith in the founding of our nation as this edition of Lifeline continues. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. We have been investigating the faith-centered foundation of the American resistance as found inside the pages of this new book, By the Hand of Providence. By the way, for you homeschooling parents out there in particular, I mean, the book is great for anybody, but homeschooling parents, 
you're looking for a great book that can be a wonderful teaching tool, uh, you're going to want to go out and pick up a copy of this. Howard is the publisher available to bookstores throughout the Bay Area. Those one or two still exist, am I right? I'm just checking. And, of course, through Amazon.com. Its author is with us tonight, Rod Gregg. Rod is the director of the Center for Military and Veteran Studies at Coastal Carolina University in South Carolina. By the way, a number of phenomenal books that he has penned down through the years, over 16 of them now all told, on topics of the Battle of Gettysburg, uh, Civil War, on and on the list goes. So check out anything uh, written by Rod. Again, G-R-A-G-G, if you're going to Google his last name. Rod, it's curious. We talk about the notion oftentimes that that some will report uh, a number of the Founding Fathers as having been deists. And I find it curious because if we look at the actions of these men and the great risk that they took, the personal sacrifice, it would seem to me that it would take an individual of greater character um, and and, and a sense of, of higher calling than just somebody who casually acknowledge the existence of deity out there. It seems to me that most of the actions of these men in the founding days of this nation were people that were willing to sacrifice for a greater good because they knew the God that they served. Well, that's exactly right. You have to remember when we talk about uh, the founding fathers, the leaders of the American people in the colonial era, time of the American Revolution, that um, they reflected also the worldview of the American people, or they wouldn't have been holding office. And the worldview of the American people, without question at that time, was a faith-based. It was the Judeo-Christian worldview. And it's no accident that the Declaration of Independence uh, begins with what it calls a uh, self-evident truth that all men are created equal and are endowed by their Creator with certain unalienable rights, namely life, liberty, and, and the pursuit of happiness. Now, the Declaration of Independence had to be acceptable to the American people who were going to live with it and in many cases going to die for it. And the signers knew that. And they knew they had to have biblical justification for something as big as an independence movement or a revolution. And so that's why the Declaration of Independence is laced with the language of faith. Half of it makes the case against King George III because Americans came to to view him in great numbers, as did these crafters of the Declaration, as uh, a leader uh, who was unfit to be a ruler of free people because they had come to view him as a tyrant who wanted and intended to usurp the higher law of God and replace it with the law of man. And Americans, uh, being biblically literate, were very conscious of the whole biblical doctrine of submission to authority. And so they were reluctant revolutionaries. And not until uh, until the great numbers of them came to believe that uh, he was attempting to uh, usurp or take uh, authority over the higher law of God did they move into the ranks of uh, revolutionaries. And uh, they then came to view him and Parliament to a lesser degree as tyrants who were, uh, who were seeking to repress these inalienable or God-given rights, and they believed they had a biblical and moral duty to resist that. Now, as far as uh, the leaders and those who are deists, that really is something that has been uh, greatly exaggerated uh, in our day, and it really probably reflects more about uh, 
uh, where American culture is today than it does the historical evidence of that time. Well, to be sure, I mean, the attempt, I think, too, to uh, to take God and faith out of the equation, to kind of neutralize America's stand historically on the position of faith uh, and, and kind of eradicate our faith-based roots. I mean, let's face it, if, if you can eliminate that at the foundation, it's much easier then to move forward in uh, not only creating a religion-neutral America, but in some corners even a religion religious-hostile America. Well, you know, the great unreported story of our day, uh, of the last uh, 50 years, is the shift in the national consensus or the shift in the world view of America's leadership from a historic, traditional uh, Judeo-Christian worldview that holds that God is the authority over all things and God should be the central focus of all things, to a man-centered, secular, or humanistic worldview that says that man, not God, is the authority over all things and that man, not God, should be the center of all focus. Now, that's a seismic shift. And, uh, and you know, why it's, uh, it's having a trickle-down effect in the, in the American population, you can see uh, that the leadership in America in virtually all fields has really shifted in that direction in, in the field of uh, uh, business, uh, law, government, uh, entertainment, uh, popular media, the culture, popular culture, the, the media, the news media, uh, movies, television, um, health care. It's shifted from this God-centered worldview to a man-centered worldview. And then when you have something like that happens, it means that those who are um, responsible for conveying information have uh, are uncomfortable with things of faith, particularly of biblical faith. They, are, um, uh, they don't understand it in some cases. Uh, they're uncomfortable with it. Sometimes they really resist it or even hostile to it. And so for those reasons, I think that the... Uh, the fundamental foundation of America's origins as a nation, which was faith-based, and that faith was the Judeo-Christian worldview, has um, has really uh, almost been uh, it's been neglected. It's uh, and, and it's to a point that most Americans today, or at least many Americans today, don't know the story. Yeah, and sadly enough, and of course the irony is we see the manner in which this is demonstrated, the results of which are demonstrated in society and the world around us every single day. I mean, look at the disintegration of what's going on in our country morally and economically. Uh, there's proof positive, and even more so than what ought to be a firmer drive to return back to the understanding of our faith-based roots, um, the, the, the acceptance of the reality that colonial America was built on a foundation of biblical faith, and that any time you waver from it, you are going to be open for some pretty scary times, which we find ourselves in these days. By the hand of providence, how faith shaped the American Revolution, and hopefully will be the guide to the next one. That's my subtitle, my sub-subtitle. Uh, Rod Gregg, its author, our guest on this segment of Lifeline. Again, a number of great resources that Rod has penned down through the years for those interested in uh, a real, legitimate view of the faith influence on the founding of our nation. Then, too, again, for parents out there, the homeschoolers, if you're looking for great teaching uh, content, then again, Google his name, Rod Gray. You can find lots of great resources, too, all of which available on the web and through Amazon.com by the hand of Providence. 
Well, that's going to do it for this edition of Lifeline. Thanks so much for being with us. And if there was anything you heard on today's show that you'd like to hear again or share with a friend, grab a copy of the Lifeline podcast. Simply log on to kfax.com. That's kfax.com for the Lifeline podcast. Our producer is Wanda Sanchez. I'm Craig Roberts. Till next time round, remember, just don't keep the faith. Get out there and share it and make it a great evening. So long. Opinions expressed in the preceding program do not necessarily represent the views of the ownership, staff, or management of KFAX. Copyright Salem Communications, all rights reserved. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never before seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.